So turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians, New Testament book of Philippians, and today we'll be in chapter 4. We've been in the book of Philippians for a long time, and today is the last message in this series of messages. I hope it's been an encouragement to you as we've studied Philippians, and more than that, I trust that God's Word has worked to change your life, and today I just can't wait uh, to get to this, uh, to this very last part. I want to begin by telling you a little bit about my very first automobile. Do you remember your first car? Uh, when I was 16 years old, and I'm going to date myself with this photograph, but when I was 16 years old, my first car <laughs> was a 1974 Volkswagen. Now, that's not the actual picture, but it's a spitting image of what my car looked like or the best I could remember it. And I was so excited to get that car. It was old. It was old even then, uh, but it was a car. And so finally, I had a way that I could go to school in the morning without bumming a ride from mom and dad or getting on the school bus. I could take girls out on dates. I could go to work. I had freedom. I loved that car. I was satisfied with that car until I wasn't. <laughs> you know, it was uh, just a short time after I got that car that I recognized the value of an air conditioner. Now, some of you are not old enough to know... <laughs> that uh, a long time ago, air conditioners were optional equipment on automobiles, and my car did not have an air conditioner. And so, as much as I was satisfied with this car for a while, now I wanted a car with an air conditioner. If I could just have an air-conditioned car, I would never want another automobile. So, I got an air-conditioned car, and I enjoyed that car. I was satisfied with that car until I wasn't. <laughs> Because then I wanted a car with an FM radio and a cassette player. I know I'm dating myself, but you know, you get tired of the, the scratchy AM after a while and the best stations were on FM and I wanted to be able to listen to my mixtapes. Do you know what that is? And so I got a car with an FM stereo and a cassette tape player. I thought I was in heaven. And I loved it, sounded so beautiful, and I'd listen to those cassette tapes. But you know, after a while, I decided the sound really wasn't as good as it ought to be. I mean, as much as I was excited about how good it sounded, now I needed a car with a CD player in it, because then it would really sound good. So I got a car with a CD player, and then I wanted a car that had, a, had one of those buttons on the remote, you know, so you could lock and unlock the door. And I don't even know why I needed that, but, uh, but everybody else had one, and I wanted to be able to lock and unlock my door from six feet away. And so I, I wanted a different car. And so finally I got one of those cars, and I was satisfied for a little while, but then I wanted Bluetooth. And then I wanted satellite navigation. And, and, and you know, what happened when I got that very first car as a 16-year-old, and it seemed that I was satisfied, it really just began a long journey of discontent with automobiles. Now, some 32 years later, I'm still wishing I had a car different from the one that I was excited about two or three months ago. It, it's just this cycle of discontentment. Now, the, the, the terrible thing is that we repeat this irrational pattern in almost every aspect of life. And that's why some people go from job to job to job. Some people go from relationship to relationship. Some people go from marriage to marriage to marriage. Some people go from one house to another house over and over because we just can't seem to be content with what we have. 
That's why people buy things that they can't afford. That's why people go into crazy debt to buy things that they don't really need. That's why people take out second mortgages to go on vacations. We just can't seem to be content. And I also believe that this is uh, why our schedules are so messed up. That's why we are running full hilt all the time. We want to do everything. We are so scared we're going to miss out on something. We're so scared our children are going to miss out on something. So they're in, they're, they play on every sports team. They go to every event. We, we, we just simply are not content. You know, discontentment, it's like a cancer that works on the inside of your life and will rob you of life from the inside out. And this discontentment that drives so much of what we do, where we go, how we spend our money, and how we see ourselves, I'm afraid for many of us, it is exactly like a cancer. What would we do if we could be content? If we could just be satisfied? Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what everybody wants? You know, Christians want to be content, but secular people want to be content. This isn't just a a Christian virtue. You know, older people want to be content. Younger people want to be content. Wealthy people want to be content. Uh, Poor people want to be content. That's what all of us want. When I think about the prayers I pray for my children, I, I pray first of all, that they would have a holy ambition for the Lord. I want them to be ambitious in their their relationship with God. I want them to live their entire lives striving to be closer to God. I want them to be ambitious to be all that they can be for the glory of God. But beyond that, you know what I pray for for my girl's future? I just pray that they will be content. You might say, Pastor, do you pray that your girls will be wealthy? Well, no. I know a lot of wealthy people who are miserable, that, that, are, that have so much discontentment. They, they have a lot, but they think they need more, and, they, and, and, and they're miserable in that. And, and, and I know poor people or poorer people who, who are content with all they have. I, I, don't, I don't know if God will make my children wealthy or, or, or not wealthy, and, and, and I don't really care as long as they are content with what God gives to them. I pray for their marriages. And I pray that in marriage, they will find contentment with their family and their spouse. See, that's what everybody wants is contentment. So how do we find contentment? Where is contentment? If this is what everybody wants, how do we, how can we be content? Well, it's a secret. Did you know that? It's a secret because the apostle Paul in the book of Philippians calls it a secret. Philippians 4.12, and we're going to read this whole section in just a moment, but, but, but look at Philippians 4.12. He says, I have learned the secret of being content. It is a secret. He has learned the secret to being content. Now, the good news for us is that the apostle Paul was not very good at keeping secrets <laughs> because he says in verse 12, it's a secret, but he spends this entire passage explaining to us the secret. And so I want to read, beginning in verse 10, what Paul says about the secret of being content. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. And so he's sort of bragging on the Philippian church. They had 
contributed financially to the ministry and it had helped Paul be successful in taking the gospel to all kind of different cities. Uh, there was a time that they were unable to give. We don't know if it's because Paul was too far away or if it was because of some financial difficulty. Uh, but he said in recent days, they had been very faithful to give. Verse 11, he says, I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. He says, I, I'm not saying thank you because I had some need that, that I could not have survived uh, without your gift. He says, I've learned to be content whether I have uh, resources or I don't have resources. Verse 12, I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. Now, by the way, both of those are a challenge. Uh, you know, oftentimes people that don't have much think if, that if they just had more, life would be easy. But it, it, it can be hard to not have enough, but it can also be hard to have too much. Both of those present great challenges. So he says, I know how to do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. And then that verse that everybody seems to know, verse 13, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And so he talks uh, about just their generosity toward him. But he says, I was content either way. I was content with the gift you gave. I would have been a content person even if you hadn't given it. Now let's skip down to verse 19. I you to see two more verses that sum up Paul's view of life that brought contentment. He says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, we're going to learn today how to be content. But before we get to that, let me tell you two things, show you two things that this passage uh, reveals about contentment before we get to the how-tos. First of all, we see here that contentment is unconnected to circumstances. Now, this may surprise you, but your contentment, my contentment, it is not connected to our circumstances in life. Look back at verse 11. In verse 11, he says again, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances, notice that, in whatever circumstances I find myself. You know, often we think that we would be content if we had more, or if we had better, or if we had newer, or if we had easier, or if we had sexier, or if we had faster. We think if, the, if our circumstances would change somehow, then we would be content. If I just had a little bit more, I would be content. But the Apostle Paul says no. He says your contentment and your circumstances are not connected. People who have less than you are still content. People who have more than you don't have contentment. Contentment and circumstances don't line up. We see the wisdom writer in Ecclesiastes say this, the one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with wealth or with income. See, contentment and circumstances, we need to in our minds see those as completely separate things. You know, 
in about a month, people are going to camp overnight and line up for the brand new iPhone, right? And so it's, uh, it's just about here. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's, uh, it's just about here. And, and, and for some people, uh, they will go to great lengths. And I'm a gadget person and a technology person. I enjoy those things. But some people will go to extraordinary lengths uh, to get this brand new iPhone. Now, those, those were the same people, for the most part, who stood in line a year ago to get the brand new iPhone. And they thought a year ago that if they could just get this new iPhone, that this finally, it is, it is slick enough, it is fast enough, it is powerful enough. But you know, a year later, they, they're desperate for another one. And if the Lord tarries, a year from now, they're gonna be, be desperate for another one still. See, there will never be an iPhone that is so slick, that is so powerful, that is so fast, that it'll ultimately satisfy people. We're always going to want something more. And if contentment is tied to whether or not the, the, the things we have perfectly satisfy us, we will never be content. Because, you know, not only will there never be an iPhone that will satisfy some people, there will never be a salary that'll satisfy I mean, you, you might make a lot of money, but you can make a lot of money and wish you made a lot more, right? All by itself, there will never be a salary. You will never get a salary to which you'll be able to say, I am 100% satisfied. There will never be a car that will, that will fully satisfy. There will never be a marriage that will fully satisfy. There will never be an accomplishment that will fully satisfy. I was reading this week about Tom Brady, the famed quarterback, and in 2005, he set for an interview with 60 Minutes. He had just won his third Super Bowl. That's quite an achievement. But here's what he said in his 60 Minutes interview. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I think, oh my God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be all that there is. Tom Brady won three Super Bowl rings and said, I thought I would be satisfied, but I'm miserable in this because it's just not enough. There will never be good enough circumstances in your life for you to be content. Your contentment has to come from somewhere else. Now, let me show you another thing about contentment that you need to know for us to get into the how-tos. The second thing is this, contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. So if you look back at verse 11, it's the same verse we just read, but it says, I don't say this out of need for I have learned. I have learned to be content. So this isn't something that just happens. This is something that takes time and something you have to work at. If you're going to be content, it's not going to be because somebody prayed a blessing over you or your boss gives you a raise if, or, or, or you, you find a new love of your life. No, if you're going to be content, you have to work at it. And the Bible tells us in these verses four things we can do that we can work at in order to be content. Number one, we must see everything as a blessing from the Lord. If you're going to be content, it starts with this. You have to see everything in your life, everything you have, everything you are, you have to see it as a blessing from the Lord. Now, I want to go back and look at verse 10 because there's something here that is profound that 99% of the people who read Philippians 4.10, they never see this. They never see it. So I want to 
I'm going to test your, your observation skills here. Let's see if you can notice something in verse 10 that most people can never see. So it says this, it's on the screen. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. Now we can stop there because we've already, we've already said the, the mysterious thing. Do you see something unusual there? He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. Now, what is the, what is the apostle Paul doing? We're going to leave that verse up for a moment. What is the apostle Paul doing here? Now, somebody might suggest that the Apostle Paul is simply thanking the Philippians for their gift. He's saying thank you. But he's not saying thank you to the Philippians. In fact, you read this whole passage, he never says thank you to the Philippians. Who does he say thank you to? He says thank you to the Lord for what the Philippians did. Now, look at the verse again. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly because you have renewed your gift. He says, you gave me something and I am thankful to the Lord that you gave it to me. And now why does Paul say he's thankful to the Lord? Because Paul recognizes that all good things in life ultimately come from the Lord. It wasn't the Philippians that gave him the gift. It was God who gave him the gifts. The Philippians just were the conduit that God used to give it to him. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because that's the beginning of contentment. When, when you understand that everything is a blessing from the Lord, well, let me just walk you through the train of thought. First, you will see God is the source of all gifts. And so I'll see that everything I have in life, it comes from the Lord. So I've got a car. Who did that car come from? Well, that car came from the Lord. The Lord blessed me with that car. Now you might say, well, I the Lord didn't bless me. I'm making payments on the car. I paid for the car. Well, where, where did you get the money to pay for the car? Well, I worked. Well, who gave you the job? Who gave you the skills? Who gave you the knowledge? Who gave you the breath? I mean, everything I have is from the Lord. And so if, if you will just change your thinking from thinking that, that stuff comes from you or stuff even comes from other people and recognize that everything comes from the Lord, then you will, you, you will begin to be thankful. I, I've got a car. My car is a gift from the Lord. I have a house. My house is a gift from the Lord. I'm married to a woman. That woman is a gift from the Lord in my life. And so the first part of our thinking, we recognize that God is the source of all gifts. Now that leads us to, now hang with me here because you're going to see how this will end at contentment. Once I recognize that all things come from the Lord, then I can see that I really deserve nothing but damnation. Now, let me explain. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So the one thing I deserve is death. I've sinned, I deserve death. Everything else in my life is a gift from God. Everything is a gift from God. Now you won't complain about stuff when you see it as a gift from the Lord. When you recognize that everything you have is, is God showing you his his grace, God showing you his kindness. I mean, I could look at my car and say, well, my car is not as big as somebody else's car. My car is not as fast as somebody else's car. My car doesn't have this, or my car doesn't have that, or my house doesn't have this. But if I will see that as a gift from God, and it is so much more than I deserve because I don't deserve any of that, do you see how that's the beginning of contentment? And it was the beginning of contentment in, in Paul's life. In fact, you'll, you'll read, you'll discover if you read all that Paul has written, Paul never says thank you. People give him stuff all the time. People do things for him all the time. 
He, he never says thank you. He always says thank the Lord for what they've done. Paul understood that everything he had was a gift from God and it was more than he deserved. And that's the beginning of contentment. You will be content with whatever, with your accomplishments, when you recognize that those accomplishments are a gift that God has wrought in your life and you didn't deserve any of it. You, you will be content with your family when you recognize that God gave you that family and you didn't deserve it. It is a gift from God. In fact, if, you, if you're struggling with discontentment today, I'll give you an exercise. If, if, you're just, if, if discontentment is just eating you up today, here's a shortcut way to overcome your discontentment. Take a piece of paper, draw a line right down the middle, up and down. And then to the left of the line, do this, make this list. Make a list of all the things you have that you don't deserve. Now, it'd be a long list, okay, because it's everything. So make a list of everything you have that you don't deserve. And then on the other side, make a list of all the things that you deserve that you don't have. Now, I tell you, the only things on the list, I'll help you with the list. You deserve separation from God because of your sin. You deserve eternal punishment because of uh, your sin. You deserve to live a hopeless life in an eternal damnation. That's all you deserve. And so when we recognize that all good gifts come from God, we, we, will, we will begin to be content with what we have. That's the beginning of contentment. Now, uh, the second thing that we must do, once we see everything as a blessing from the Lord, number two, we need to find satisfaction in Christ. So we're still looking at our scripture passage. We're down to verse 13 now. He says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now we need to properly understand this verse. This doesn't mean that uh, I, if I'll say this verse before I, I dunk a basketball, that I'll be able to dunk a basketball because I can do all things through Christ. That's not at all what this verse means. What we see in context is Paul's talking about being able to handle everything, being able to handle to being rich, being able to handle being poor, being able to handle being hungry. Paul says, I can handle all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, what do we learn about contentment from this? Contentment ultimately comes from being satisfied with Christ. You're not going to be satisfied with a car stereo. I mean, God, God has created you in such a way that a car stereo or a new house or a new job or a younger partner or or some accomplishment, a Super Bowl ring, God has created you in such a way that that's not ultimately going to satisfy anybody. Your satisfaction can only come from Christ. And so if you're looking to be content, or you're looking for contentment's cousins, do you know what, who the cousins of contentment are? Happiness and joy and peace. If you're looking for contentment or her cousins, in any place other than Christ, you will fail because contentment comes from Christ. I love what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33. He says, um, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be provided for you. What he says is if you'll make your life's pursuit the things of God, his righteousness, Jesus Christ, if you will make your life's pursuit Christ, knowing Christ, 
then you will be content because God will take care of all these other things. But if you pursue those other things, you will never find satisfaction in him. The problem with discontentment, it's not a problem with things on the outside of us. It's a problem with the things on the inside. It is a problem with our walk with Christ. That's why we're discontent. I heard a story about a man in church and he, he was upset because the words on the screens were blurry and they were more blurry every week. And so he went to the tech guys and he said, you got to do something about this. You got to refocus the projectors or something. And they said, no, there's nothing wrong with the projectors. And so there was a little, little disagreement. And uh, the man left frustrated that, the, that he couldn't get a, a more helpful response from the tech guys. And, and they just insisted there's nothing wrong with the projectors. And, and he was angry about it until two weeks later when his new prescription glasses came in the mail. <laughs> and he put them on and he went to church and it turned out that the words were perfectly in focus. And he realized that the problem wasn't what was outside of him. The problem was, was himself. The problem was what was inside. And when we're discontent, it's, it's not because you don't have a nice enough or a big enough or fast enough or sexy enough. No, the problem is your pursuit of Christ. If you go to the doctor and, and uh, he uh, takes your temperature and he says it's 101.1, uh, that lets him know that there's a problem. But the problem, and, and I, I'm not a doctor obviously, so I may get this wrong, but, so bear with me. Um, but the problem is not that you have a temperature, I, I, as far as I know. The problem isn't that your body is, is, is too warm, and that, that's not really the, the problem. No, no the, the, what, what the doctor has measured, your temperature points him or points her to another problem. I mean, the, prob the chief problem is not that your body's a tick or two too warm. The problem is that you've got an infection somewhere or some other, you know, I don't know what causes your temperature to go up, but, 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 but it's whatever the doctor points to. The temperature indicates that there's a problem somewhere else in your body that needs to be addressed. Now, when you have discontentment because you don't like your achievements or you have discontentment because of your family or you have discontentment because of your money, the, the problem is not that you need more money, different family or greater achievements. No, that's just an indicator that you have a problem somewhere else. And while I'm not a medical doctor, I can tell you something about the Bible. The other problem is Jesus. You have a problem in your pursuit of Christ. And so we find satisfaction. If we're going to be content, we have to find satisfaction in Christ. Now, the third thing is we must live in daily dependence on God's provision. Daily dependence on God's provision. Now, we're going to skip down to verse 19. Uh, but I want to tell you why I'm skipping some verses. We're skipping three or four verses here. And it's not because they're not good verses to read. They're just sort of on a different subject. Uh, those verses talk about the fact that the Philippians, the people at the church of Philippi, were very generous to Paul. And uh, we're, we're talking about Paul's contentment. And so it doesn't really apply to what we're talking about. But, but, it, but it does in, in, a, in a way... Uh, when it talks about their giving, there are other places in scripture that connect our giving with our contentment. So let me just sort of give you a free point here and then we'll get back to point, point three. If you want to be content, start giving. There's just something about giving sacrificially and systematically that will change your heart and make it content. Jesus said it this way, 
where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and if you're one of these people who, who, who just hold on to your possessions as tight as you can, I know some people, they, boy, they wouldn't let go of $100 if their life depended on it. Boy, they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't let $10 slip through their fingers. They, they want to hold on to everything they have because, well, because they're discontent. You, the, the tighter you hold on to your stuff, the more discontent you will be with it. But if you will learn to open your hands... If you will learn to be generous with the people around you, you learn to be generous with the ministry, you just learn to, to let it go. What you're going to discover is that God will replace what you give with contentment. You know, the Bible talks about, and, and we, we see this, I wish you could sit through counseling appointments sometimes and, and hear this. The people who give faithfully struggle less with not having enough money than people who hold it tight. Now, have you ever wondered why? You'd think that the people who don't give, the people who hold it tight, that they would have, they, they, well, I got a lot more money. And the people who give it away, the people who tithe, the people who give, who give a significant amount of money away every week or every month, that they would struggle. But it's the other way around. Now, why is that? Well, I think one is because God just blesses people who are faithful, but, but a big way, a big reason, is because when you give it away, God puts contentment in your heart. I would rather be content with less than discontent with more. Does that make sense? You would be better off being content with 10 or 20% less than what you have than you would being discontent with 10 or 20% more. And so, uh, and so giving, we... We uh, see a reference in the verses that we've skipped of giving uh, is connected with contentment. But, but let's look at this number three. Live in daily dependence on God. Verse 19 says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We could say much about that verse. It's a promise. God says that he will provide for all of our needs. Now, he doesn't say he'll provide for all of our greeds. <laughs> but he will provide for all of our needs. But it's more than just a promise. It is a way of life. It is a way to live. We need to see God as the provider of everything we have. And so if, if we go through a difficult stretch in life, and we all will, you know, where, where things are just hard, maybe they're hard at work or hard financially or hard with your health, that we'll go through difficult times. We need to see those times as, as a part of God's strategy to accomplish his purposes in our lives. Because the truth is, we don't have need. God has given us everything we need. And if we don't have it, it's because we don't need it. I remember when I was, uh, when I was a little kid, every Thanksgiving, my mom would give me and my sister, my one sister I had then, uh, uh, Sear, our very own Sears Christmas catalog. Now, again, I'm dating myself. Some of you may not even know that existed, but it, it was about that thick. You know, as a little kid, it seemed like it was like that thick. And it just was, it was mostly toys. I mean, hundreds of pages of toys. And so Thanksgiving, every Thanksgiving, we'd sit down. I had one, my sister had one. Uh, I guess they just gave them away by the truckload. I don't know. But uh, we would sit down and we would circle everything we wanted for Christmas. Now, there was stuff in that catalog that I wanted, I didn't know I wanted before I saw it in the catalog, but, 
I needed that stuff. I'd circle it. Something I'd circle over and over and over and put stars around it because I needed it. I needed it. And you know, I get to Christmas and, um, and my, my mom was always very generous to us. And, and, uh, and so many things I circled, I, I received, but inevitably there were some things that, uh, I circled that I didn't receive. And I would be thankful. Uh, hopefully I was a thankful child and I would be thankful for what I got. But in the back of my mind, I'd still, you know, I'd, I'd open that last gift and I'd think, you know, there's still seven more circles in that catalog, mom. <laughs> and so I would be disappointed that I, I didn't get some things that I absolutely needed, even though I'd never heard of them before Thanksgiving. Well, see, the, the same thing happens in our lives. We look into the lives of others. We see their accomplishments. We see their families. Uh, we, we, we get on Facebook and we see sort of the honor roll of everybody's lives. We, we look at their possessions, their careers. And when we look into their lives, sometimes we're discontent with our, with our own life. If we would live daily in dependence on God, what we would recognize is God promises to meet all of my needs. If it were a real need, God would have given it to me. If I don't have it, I don't need it. God is the provider of all my needs. And then the fourth thing, very quickly, we need to let the glory of God be our focus. If you look at verse 20, it's just brief. It's a verse that We'd, we'd skip over most of the time when we're reading this, but it's key, I think, to contentment. He says, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. But what does he say the purpose of it all is? The glory of God. You know, yesterday was a football day, the first uh, full football Saturday. I love college football. And um, I've got my, uh, my Auburn tie on today because I didn't want to wait and wear it the first time after my team had beat one of your teams. Um, <laughs> go ahead and get it out of the way for the season. But I'm sure yesterday after some of the football games were over, there were some players who said, why didn't I get to carry the ball more often? Or why didn't I get to play more plays? Uh, what, what, what about me? What about my role? Why didn't I get to do more? Now, I know we have coaches in, in our church, high school, college coaches, I mean, what would a coach say if a player comes up after the game and maybe you've won the game, maybe the school has won the game, or maybe the school's lost, <clears throat> I don't suppose it matters, but the player comes up and says, coach, I mean, I've got a beef, why didn't I get to play more? Why didn't I get the ball more? Why, didn't, why not me, why not me, why not me? What do you think the coach would say? The coach would say, listen, it, it, this game wasn't about you. I mean, we had team goals. The, the game was about was about reaching the goals of the team. It wasn't about how many carries you got. It wasn't about how many plays you were in. It was about the team goals. You need to get your focus off your personal goals. You need to take your focus off yourself, the coach would say, and you need to keep your focus on the team goals, the team goals. Well, the team goal, what is the team goal? Team goal is the glory of God. That, that we might as a people, we might as a church bring glory and honor to God. That's the purpose. Now, discontentment comes when you get your eyes off the team goal, the glory of God, and you get your eyes on your personal goals. I mean, if I make my life about how can I have the nicest house in the world, if I might make my life about how can I have the most exalted 
career in the world or the greatest accomplishments in the world, if I focus on those personal things, I will be discontent. But if I will keep my eyes on the team goal to bring glory and honor to God, then I will experience contentment. You know, my team, my team won yesterday and I'm happy about that. Um, I, uh, I'd be disappointed today they, had they not uh, won. So uh, that's, why, that's why I enjoy college football. But if you think about it, why should I be happy that my team won? I, I, didn't, I didn't play uh, yesterday. I didn't play any football. In fact, I sat in a, you know, I sat in a recliner with a, uh, with a Diet Coke in my, in my hand and, and, and watched those guys work really hard. I didn't even break a sweat. Why, why should I be happy that they won? I, I didn't have anything riding on the game. It wouldn't have affected my life in any real way had they won or lost. Why am I happy that they won? This is important. Because I have chosen in my life to assign value. For whatever reason, I don't even know. But I have ass- decided in my life to assign value to whether or not that football team wins. I have chosen to make that important. Now, it's not important, and and I could have chosen a different team, right? But I I have decided that for me, whether that team wins or loses on Saturday is important. I've given value to that in my life. Well, here's what Paul says. Paul says, I've decided I'm going to give value to God being glorified. And when God is honored, I am satisfied when, 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 God, when God is lifted high, when people are praising God, when, when people are coming to know Jesus, then I'm happy. Then, then, then I, I'm satisfied. See, he has decided that he is going that, that to make the most valuable thing in his life, not his personal welfare, not a football team, but he's decided he's going to make the most important thing in his life the glory of God. And so just as I celebrate when a bunch of football players that I've never seen, that I don't know, that I'll never meet, and I can't even remember most of their names. I celebrate when they win. I mean, as weird as that is, I'm celebrating. I'm a thousand miles away and I'm celebrating because these 20-year-old guys won a football game. I've given value, I've, I've assigned value to that. Paul says, I've assigned value to God being honored. And when God is honored, I am thrilled. You see, that's where contentment comes from. We must let the glory of God be our focus. Now, if we just look at this whole passage, we are over here running the rat race of life. We, um, life is about money and success and speed and features and experiences. And, and, and on this rat race of life, the apostle Paul, here's what he's doing in these last few verses. He is, he's calling out to us. And he says to those of us who are just trying to push harder and do more and have more and accomplish more and always discontent, he says, he says, hey, over here, I have learned the secret to being content. And it's not doing what you're doing. It's over here focusing on what I'm focusing upon. Now, let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes because here's what I want us to do just in a quiet moment. I want you to hear the Apostle Paul. I want you to hear the Holy Spirit calling out to you, running the rat race of life. 
and hear him say that contentment is not found in more or bigger or greater or sexier or faster, but contentment will be found in Jesus or it will not be found at all. Father, in these moments, help us to respond. Help us, if we do not know you as our savior, to have the courage to step down to the front and, 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 and say to someone standing here, I need Christ. And help, us ex- help, help people accept Christ as their savior this morning. But Father, for many of us, we know Christ is our Savior. We are children of God, no question about it. But we are running the rat race of life and we are looking for contentment in all the wrong places. Help us today to embrace it in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand together and respond to the Lord as we sing.